Welcome to American Redemption, the show where the next generation of American patriots learn to fight back in America's toughest cultural battles. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to American Redemption. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys both having me on. Yeah, we're really excited. Uh, it's going to be a great episode from everything I've heard so far. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's exciting to have Ty on as he's a friend of the podcast and an avid listener. So we always love having uh, guests on that are true followers of the podcast and true followers of the mission. So we like to, uh, you know, highlight these people and give them a chance to, you know, tell the rest of our audience uh, what they have going on in their lives. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, one of the great things about Ty is he's one of our, our listeners who we didn't need to guilt into listening. I think most of them are are uh, people we've made yeah. it feel bad if they don't listen he, he, but Ty, he's, he's not a uh he's not a fake uh american redemption follower as some of our other followers are he wants to be here and that's why he's on the episode and he has a lot of good things to say he has a oh, lot absolutely. Good to, it's gonna be great he has a lot good to to report and he's definitely you know one of the boys that we want to highlight because He's epic. He's epic. He's epic, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so Ty, I understand that you were like a secular liberal and you've had this very interesting shift. You recently got confirmed and baptized and now you're a strong conservative <laughs> Christian he's, Catholic. He's he's reformed as Tony would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I grew up in a household that was perhaps nominally Christian. Uh, there wasn't any denomination necessarily. My mother grew up going to Catholic church. My father attended Catholic church for a time and then became Presbyterian. But none of them, neither of them have gone to church in uh, decades. Uh, they're not practicing in any way. They still hold those uh, values uh, just as much as I suppose our, our culture does. Mm-hmm. But uh, they weren't pushed in any way i wasn't um i wasn't brought to church i didn't attend church growing up um i was a little bit rebellious in that i decided to um at any time my father suggested going to church or trying things like that i refused um i grew up as an atheist i was very much an atheist um even throughout uh, up until well, two years ago, I'd say, um, I became maybe slightly more than that. Uh, I became an agnostic. Uh, however, as an atheist, I always wanted um, the existence of God to be true. Hmm. Um, I hoped for it to be true because uh, life as an atheist is pretty meaningless uh, as a relativist, materialist. Um, when you don't have some high, higher power to look toward. Did Jordan Peterson play a role in your transition from atheist to agnostic to deist yeah. to Christian? Yeah. So uh, my, my first um, conversion um, or my first view to change was that on abortion. 
And uh, that mostly came via, uh, I suppose, Ben Shapiro and the folks at The Daily Wire. Hmm. Uh, Just YouTube videos and stuff like that. I found that my position ended up being logically inconsistent in many ways. Um, And that really got me thinking that my whole worldview had turned around, especially because abortion was the Hmm. position, the topic that I was most passionate about. So as a pro-choice. Yeah. Yeah. As a pro-choice person. uh, And to see my whole worldview turn around, I realized I needed to re-examine my foundational beliefs. And that is when I started uh, realizing that I needed a uh, Judeo-Christian perspective um, which um, Jordan Peterson doesn't didn't necessarily have when I first found him, but one thing that really attracted me about him was the idea of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And when I first picked up his book Twelve Rules for Life, uh, that really began to change my perspective on the world. And um, what actually changed me into a theist uh, was his biblical lecture series I found on YouTube. Uh, he goes through Genesis and I think a bit of Exodus. And uh, after about 17 hours into the lectures, I'd say, is when I finally became convinced that God existed. Wow. But I hadn't, I hadn't uh, come to any conclusions as to where I might find that. Was it just because you saw like these deep truths rooted in, in Scripture? Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> growing up, I had many uh, friends who were Christian or some were maybe nominally Christian, uh, but they all attended church. Uh, but I I came into the problem that some of the people that I was surrounded with uh, were the preachy types, I suppose, and uh, they were very quick con- to condemn others' actions uh, while not necessarily living out that virtuous life yeah. themselves. Mm. And I think you mentioned, Andrew, on the first episode of the podcast that um, one of the best ways, uh, or at least one way, to change the culture is to act virtually, act virtuously yourself and others will follow. Your yeah. family and friends will follow. And Absolutely. Uh, I think not every Christian, uh, at least the ones that I was surrounded with, did that for themselves. So that turned me away. And then... I also had the issue that um, some of them took the Bible uh, a bit more literally, or at least they took it so literally that in many instances they found no symbolism at all and no mm. deeper meaning. Uh, and so some of that turned me away, I suppose. But listening to Jordan Peterson's lectures, his biblical lectures, uh, he would stop after every few words or sentence and uh really break down the deeper meaning of these scriptures that he was reading. And uh, I just found such an appreciation for that and such a truth to it that I became convinced that uh, God existed. And uh, I I started by looking to Judaism, but uh, I was quickly convinced by one of my friends uh, to check out Catholicism and that is where I ended up going. Wow. That is really interesting. There's a lot, a lot you covered there. <laughs> I definitely need to listen to those biblical lectures again. I listened to one point long ago, but I really don't 
recall much. I don't think I retained too much, so I'm going to listen mm-hmm. again. I, I love listening to his lectures. Something else interesting that you mentioned earlier on was that your your parents uh, still had that that moral compass that they raised you with the Christian moral compass. That is really one of the last things helping Western civilization to hang on is that despite the lack of of strong Christians in the wider culture, we it's, still have yeah, the values. Yeah, it's the Christian underpinning of the culture itself. I mean, it's really the only thing. I mean, that's what they talk about, you know, yeah. even, they're, they're even, even in road, like the, the secular. Back. Yeah, they are. But it's the same thing. They have like the treat others as, as you want to be treated as the uh, kind of the uh, the – secular uh version of jesus is like second commandment which is like love your neighbor as yourself yeah so it's a distillation but it's better than nothing yeah yeah i had a very lax childhood my parents uh, i i was only rebellious in that i didn't want to go to church other than that i never uh, thought to lie to my parents i didn't uh, try to mm. sneak out or do anything that I suppose I wasn't supposed to, although I, I wasn't necessarily taught right or wrong in a lot of situations. It just mm. came in the way my parents acted. Wow. Uh, and I suppose they were just both good mentors for me. That's good. They set a good example. Like we like yeah. you mentioned earlier, the example is stronger than the, the preaching most of the time. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into this this uh, pro-choice to pro-life bit a bit more, especially with the, the big news up from what last week that yeah. looks like Roby Wade will probably be overturned. This is going to be hot button issue. We're going to have a lot of debates with people, a lot of talks and discussions with friends and people we interact with. So mm-hmm. tell us how you went from being very strongly pro-choice to very strongly pro-life. Yeah. Well, uh, when I was first exposed to those Ben Shapiro YouTube videos, which I'm not quite sure how the uh, YouTube algorithm Give me those as a <laughs> oh, as a liberal me? who was watching the Young Turks. Wow! But uh, oh, wow, you, that is you, very have, you, you have come a long way. Yeah, yeah, I certainly have. Uh, in in a quick amount of time, it seems. But uh, watching those videos, I found that some of some of the uh, positions I held uh, were easily refuted, and uh, whether that was viability or sentience or uh, where I drew the line for when life begins. Uh, every every position I took, I got pushed further and further back in until I eventually had to accept that life began at conception. Hmm. And um, at that point, for me, there was no other position to be held um, other than the pro-life position because, um, well, at this point, I was still an atheist. Uh, for many years after this, hmm. even though I was very much pro-life. So was your position when you were pro-choice that it wasn't a human life and then it didn't matter? Mm-hmm. Or was it that it was a human life, but it wasn't viable, so it didn't matter? Uh, yeah, so I didn't I didn't think life began. Um, uh, well, I, I believe that once life began, uh, you had to protect that life mm-hmm. and uh, that you couldn't slaughter that person in the form of an abortion, but yeah. I, uh, I didn't think life began until much later, um, until perhaps the baby was, uh, sentient or viable outside the womb. 
But um, so would you have supported like a heartbeat bill when you were pro-choice? Do you think would you have set that as a cutoff when there's a heartbeat, or would it have been later on when yeah. the brain develops or something? Yeah. Well, at one point it was the heartbeat. Um, at the beginning, it was much further on in the pregnancy. Uh, if you look at a gestation chart, it was probably you know at the beginning of the third trimester. Hmm. Um, however, uh, I found that there were you could draw lines, for instance, sentience. Uh, you could draw lines to uh, any arbitrary period you pick during the pregnancy. Uh, you know, whether that reason is sentience, that could also be brought as an example of an adult human being who is clearly alive. No one would argue is not uh, yeah. someone who's in a coma may not be sentient. Yeah, but, that's uh, the thing about these, uh, all these points you know, that they, the pro-choice people pick out, they're all so arbitrary, whether yeah. it's three months or two months or 12 weeks or whatever, completely arbitrary. There's only two concrete points. Life either be, begins at conception, or which we know it does, or the, the most radical pro-choice members of society are also the most honest in that they set their point as birth. Like yeah. there are people out there who would say, you can abort until the baby's born. And that's at least more concrete than any of these arbitrary dates. They're the most honest of the pro-choice members. Yeah. And Ralph, Ralph Northam, uh, who was at one time the governor of Virginia, he once said that um, he supported uh, post-birth post abortions. Wow. Where uh, once the baby's born, the uh, baby can be kept in a place where it's comfortable and then the doctor and mother can make a decision of what they want to do to that baby. Uh, and one of those decisions, in his view, was that you could just slaughter the baby oh in the form gosh. of abortion. Evil. Yeah. That is evil. Dang. Wow. Had you ever seen a picture of what a a baby at like 12 weeks looked like or anything like that? Yeah. So I, I wasn't... I, sorry. So, no, no, go ahead. I wasn't exposed to gestational charts and uh, pictures of the fetuses or the baby's development through the pregnancy until after, really after I had accepted that life began at conception. Um, but once one of the things that helped me accept that life began at conception was actually a 2016 University of Chicago study uh, hmm. that polled thousands of biologists and um while uh, most of the respondents to the survey were very much liberal, they considered themselves pro-choice. Um, they voted as a Democrat. 97% uh, of them still accepted that life began at conception. Wow. Um, and I, I think that survey is a pretty good uh, argument for the pro-life cause when arguing with uh, leftists or liberals who don't accept that fact. Yeah, that's a strong argument. I've I always thought that um, most pro most pro choice people just didn't really know any better. They didn't know mm -hmm. what the baby looked like, and they they didn't have a strong understanding of of human yeah. life. And maybe I don't know. I feel like it should be easy to to change their mind on this, but they're very entrenched. It becomes very emotional. Yeah. So yeah. do you have any strategies for trying to change someone who's pro-choice and turn them into pro-life? 
Yeah. Well, over the years, I've converted a lot of pro-choicers. Oh, wow. That's um, impressive. Into pro-life. And there's only been one instance where I wasn't able to do that, uh, which the high success rate is not... Uh, it's very coincidental. I don't think I'm that good at convincing people. Uh, but I don't know um, if I've convinced anybody, so that's huge. <laughs> it's very impressive. We definitely yeah. need to hear your secret. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I would do is on Instagram, I would reach out. I would go um, on to like Bernie Sanders' post, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez' post, and just type something in the comment section like uh, asking people and inviting them to have a discussion or discourse um, regarding the pro-life, pro-choice debate, hmm. but uh, but making it known that I don't want to have an argument, I want to have a discussion uh, where we respect each other, even if you don't respect each other's opinions, and uh, that I want to talk to people who are open-minded. So that mm-hmm. already kind of vets out some people who are like, yeah. uh, it's not even worth it to bother with this guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but... um. That is key, though. Choose your battles. We come across mm-hmm. so many people who, I hate to say it, but they're kind of hopeless because they, they maybe they have some sort of demonic influence, or maybe they're a crazy person on drugs, or maybe you know who knows. There's people just entrenched in these very emotional views, and they will look at you like you're a terrible person for not wanting to kill babies, and it's just not going to be productive. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's very pragmatic to uh, to find the most radical leftist you can. Uh, conjure up and uh, try to convince them that uh, life begins at conception and that's when we should start protecting life. Yeah. Uh, Maybe there's some value from converting audience members. I don't know. Because Ben Shapiro will will come and he'll debate a lot of just nuts. And maybe that, maybe Mm -hmm. you saw videos like that and were like, wow, my position's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I I generally... um, also like to find the the best arguments to refute um, rather than rather than people who on the right who maybe just pick like uh, college educated leftist uh, some mm-hmm. undergrad student and it's one of those uh, Ben Shapiro's destroys leftists I don't really yeah. care for those I prefer yeah. where they attack the uh, best arguments possible yeah, that's much better so was your strategy based around trying to prove when life started? Yeah, so generally, the way I would go about it is we'd first define our terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would, I would see if they would accept some of my uh, my assumptions. So one being that uh, all life has intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of where we get the human rights uh the, yeah. the reason for human rights is because humans have intrinsic value rather than giving those rights to animals. Yeah, and most people agree with that. There are people, yeah. I think they're all atheists, who mm-hmm. and are, they're nihilistic and depressed who think life is worthless and meaningless, and you're not going to change their mind, but, but most people would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, but e- even a lot of the leftists uh, hear the word human rights and just immediately think, oh yeah, I'm a big supporter of that, and... Uh, and so once we get them to accept that um, all life has intrinsic value, you ask if it's uh, if in all cases it is wrong to end an innocent human life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone I've talked to so far uh, has agreed with that. I know there are definitely some radicals that would not. Yeah. Uh, 
but in every case I've come across, everyone agrees with that. Yeah. And so then all I have to do is prove that life begins at conception. And uh, generally, I have to refute the viability point, the sentience point. Uh, the heartbeat doesn't come up as much. So um, what would that, what would the sentience argument look like from a pro-choice person? I'm not really familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and keep in mind, these are all logical arguments. Some people get very emotional mm -hmm. um, over their topics. I think that I'm a little more reserved in that. And uh, I think that reserved uh, attitude also helps in having that discussion with people. Because if you get emotional, they're going to get emotional and they're not going to hear what you're saying. You're going to talk past each other. Yeah. So um, the sentience argument, basically um, someone will say to me in this discussion that, um, well, the baby's not sentient. The baby isn't alive because it's not sentient. And so it doesn't have value. Hmm. And uh, basically in these cases, I would draw uh, parallel lines to, adult humans who are not sentient, people in a coma, you wouldn't say that they have no intrinsic value. You wouldn't say that it's okay to just off a person in a coma uh, simply because they're not sentient. And yeah. uh, you would say if, since we know this baby uh, is not sentient, and the human, the adult human is not sentient, then uh, it wouldn't be okay to kill either of them. And generally people accept that. Um, you also have the viability issue. Uh, the baby can't sustain itself on its own. Uh, well, or at certain points in the pregnancy, uh, they can't sustain itself on its own. Well, neither mm -hmm. can toddlers, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. You, you put a toddler, even in a house full of food, you know, cupboards filled with food, they're, they're not going to be able to figure that out on their right. own. What uh, was what was that acronym age. that uh, that was brought up in our last uh, pro life discussion? It was it was like trot trot out a toddler tot I guess yeah um, which is yeah that's a similar argument yeah I mean a a newborn even baby up to a year or two I think is just as dependent on the mother as a yeah. unborn baby. Shout out to Megan for the trot out a toddler acronym <laughs> that yeah. is now being brought back to the forefront, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. And these parallel lines that you're drawing between, uh, babies in the womb and adult human beings, uh, generally find the logical inconsistencies in those arguments. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, even once people accept that life begins at conception, you often hear them say, well, what about, uh, Rape, incest, and the mother's health. Uh, in the case of rape and incest, um, you wouldn't um, you you wouldn't justify one evil with another evil act. Yeah. Um, it it wouldn't help in those cases. Uh, right. But preg pragmatically speaking, however, um, rape, incest, the mother's health, um, which we'll get to in a second, these all make up. Uh, less than a few percent of the cases oh, of abortion. Yeah, those all combined are less than one. Yeah. So if we had to, uh, if we had to propose a bill, if I were voting on a bill uh, right now, I'd of course support one that would leave just the exceptions for rape, incest, and mother's physical health, only because it's going to save lives. Uh, 
in total. Obviously, that's not the end goal. Yeah. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want any exceptions. Uh, the mother's health is one that uh, people often point to. And uh, I think that's the last one that uh, lefties will hold on to. Oftentimes, uh, they'll even convince some pro-life people uh, of the mother's health exception. I don't think there exists any uh, instance where the mother's health uh, is so in danger that an abortion is the solution. Hmm. Uh, generally, it's you have infected mem- membranes or uh, like a tubular birth are the two uh, examples people go to. Infected membranes, um, the basically if the infection is allowed to uh, continue and sustain itself, it'll kill it'll kill the baby and oftentimes the mother. Uh, so the solution to that one is to induce labor early. And uh, at some points, uh, the baby may survive. And in some points, uh, the baby, we just don't have the technology to keep that baby alive. Uh, but that's still, you're still not having an abortion because uh, the intention wasn't to kill the baby, even if that happened. And, oh, that's that's good to know. I wasn't aware of um, any of that. So that's a very strong yeah. argument. No, that's... That, that's that's a very strong uh, point to make. I mean, it, it basically just yeah. I I, I used to be a uh, a contingency person, and I, mm-hmm. I recently debated my brother on this, and I've I've become a uh, a pro life absolutist where there's no situation where yeah. abortion abortion is the the correct no. the correct answer. Yeah, there abortion, are, no exceptions. That that is the correct position it's the christian position and yeah i like exactly what you said there the intention is to have the, have the, the child obviously yeah. there's risk associated with being pregnant and risk with being alive in general i mean every yeah. every day we we take on the risk of, of of being alive there's risk that happen with being born i mean uh we we have amazing modern technology but i mean there's always a risk there that something can can go wrong but the intention there is to uh always choose life yeah and and that gets into a broader discussion of uh, the means and the ends where a lot of secular liberals uh will say that the ends can justify the means uh but for us christians um the means we use must either be neutral or good. We can't use bad means to justify good ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Knowles was asked a question recently um, at a university speech where a student asked him if he would perform a homosexual act on another man uh, in order to solve world hunger. And uh, the leftist thought he asked a gotcha question uh, where Michael uh, wouldn't know what to say because he would be this terrible human being if he didn't want to end world hunger. Uh, but of course, to do so, he'd have to go against his Catholic values. Uh, but for someone like Michael, the means obviously are also important. You can't uh, choose uh, an immoral means, an immoral way of getting to the ends. Um, so for him, that's an easy question to answer. Uh, and back to the mother's health, there, there's 
I suppose one other um, one we should touch on, which would be tubular pregnancies, where uh, uh, well, a lot of a lot of people might have this misconception that uh, conception starts in the womb, but it actually um, starts um, uh, in the uterus uh, where the sperm meets the egg, and then it travels through the fallopian tube to the womb, and sometimes. Uh, the embryo will get stuck in the fallopian tube for one reason or another, and uh, it will, uh, the baby will still continue to grow in the fallopian tube. And if that continues to happen, the tube will burst and the baby will die and the mother could possibly die as well. Hmm. And so uh, the medical solution to that is to cut out that portion of the tube with the embryo and remove it from the mother um, and uh, oftentimes, at that point, the baby, we don't have the technology to save the baby at that point. Uh, but the direct, the intention was not to directly and intentionally kill an innocent baby. It was mm-hmm. to save the mother's life. And unfortunately, we had, uh, you get the bad consequence of the baby dying in that scenario, but that's still not an abortion. So to your knowledge, there is no instance where an abortion is required to save the mother? Um, no, because in any scenario where the mother's health is in danger, uh, the intention uh, and the means is never to directly and intentionally kill the baby. Uh, it's only ever to save the mother. It, there, there's this example that gets brought up sometimes where, uh, say, I'm out on the lake canoeing and uh, I have two friends in another canoe and that tips over and uh, I can only save one of them, right? Uh, So my options are I can save neither, both of them, or one of them. But if I save one, the other dies, drowning, because I'm not strong enough to pull them both up. And so I could pull one friend aboard and that seems like the best option. Um, Or I could try to save both and both will die because I'm not strong enough to pull them both aboard or save neither. So if I save one, the other dies, but um, it's, I'm not intentionally trying to kill that person. I'm just choosing to save the one. That would be um, the example Mm -hmm. that I think would be a close parallel to the uh, mother's health examples. Um, In the case of an abortion, the parallel example in this canoe example I've brought up would be I'm pulling one person up and just holding the other person's head underwater underwater at the same time, that would be the abortion in that scenario. If that yeah, makes any sense. That's a, that's a good example. Yeah, and I so, mean that would that would be deemed cruel by the average uh, the average individual looking at that situation. Mm-hmm. You're not only saving one person, but you're also suppressing that other person's chance at mm-hmm. at, at living. Yeah. Yeah, so more than 99% of abortions are elective. The remaining sliver are rape, incest, something like that, mother's health, which we have just heard Ty give some excellent counterarguments for those cases. But in hearing all this, I don't know how any well-meaning person wouldn't change their mind, wouldn't convert. Yeah. It, it boggles my mind. Yeah. And that, that brings us, um, there's another point we should touch on 
when discussing discussing abortion, and that's the rhetoric the rhetoric we choose and the way we go about trying to convince other people. Mm. Um, I don't think it's necessarily prudent to go around uh, telling pro-choicers that we think they're baby murderers and they um, want to kill babies. Yeah. Um, now, when we talk about other pro talk with other pro-lifers about abortion. Uh, sure, you can use that language. You might, you'll probably agree with that person. Mm-hmm. They'll agree with you on that. But when you're discussing with someone who is pro-choice, um, I think oftentimes we need to accept that uh, the pro-choice person, they're not, they don't have this belief that they're, usually they don't have this belief that uh, abortion is murdering another human. Uh, they just think it's not a life. Uh, yeah. In many instances, and so uh, we shouldn't. We should be charitable to that person and not uh, not condemn that condemn them for their views immediately yeah. when uh, they may not even understand uh, fully the consequences of what they're saying. I absolutely agree. I do think most uh, the pro-choice people out there are pro-choice out of primarily ignorance because most yeah. people want to do the right thing. Most people want to be doing moral things. They they often just don't know any better. And there's a lot of things that get in the way of preventing them from finding out the truth. Sometimes it's willful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's influences by the media and the culture that keep them from finding out the truth. So yeah. compassion is the way to go. Yeah. And uh, from here, if you guys want, we could possibly discuss the uh, Dobbs v. Jackson case. We could talk about the legal cases or perhaps solutions uh, for the pro-life cause. Yeah, you, absolutely. Let's talk like about the Supreme Court cases a little bit. I know you have an interest in in the legal system and all that, so that'll be great yeah. to hear your perspective. Yeah. Uh, so the Dobbs v. Jackson case, we we've recently found out that uh, a draft opinion was leaked, written by Justice Samuel Alito, uh, which details a majority opinion. It's a 98-page opinion um, that seems to uh, overthrow Roe v. Wade and uh, uphold the Mississippi ban on abortion, the 15-week ban. And so um, what what we've come to here is uh, is a reversion back to a more federalist structure if the opinion holds where the state legislatures will be able to choose for themselves. I guess the state legislatures are going to be able to choose for themselves mm-hmm. uh, what, how liberal or conservative they want to be on this issue of abortion. And uh, this isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. Yeah. Red states will get redder. Blue states will get bluer. Uh, this is this is what the federalist structure is meant to be. Uh, a lot of libs have been crying out that uh, you know our democracy, our democracy, it's over. Uh, but the Supreme Court has literally just um, reverted back to a democratic structure where people will be able to vote and have their voices heard on this issue. Yeah, one uh, of the crazy things about Roe v. Wade is it it didn't just make abortion legal; it made it illegal. It made it illegal for states to make yeah. it illegal, which is just yeah. not federalist at all. And 
that's just strictly from a legal perspective. Obviously, greatest moral evil ever, mm-hmm. but it's also terrible law. Yeah, yeah. The the same people who argue about representation gave a majority of the population who believed that uh, life begins at conception uh, no representation. Yeah. Uh, both of you guys in the first episode mentioned that uh, you'd like to restore hope uh, and not be such a doomer. Uh, I find myself oftentimes, perhaps as a doomer, um, not not as much lately. Uh, I think things are looking up, but I don't know if perhaps you guys have any ideas on um, how we can how we can uh, institute a more federalist structure in our government, because obviously the politicians. Uh, aren't going to voluntarily give up power themselves. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's, that's a big subject. But I think one of the ways that I see is by localism, 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 building stronger communities, paying attention to your local elections. We need to get people in power at the local and state level who are federalists and will take power back that is rightly theirs. They... You know, we need to recognize that our republic is our state more so than it is this nation, the collection of republics. We're Pennsylvanians or Tennesseans or Californians first, actually, in the original system. So this is a mistake I used to make. I, I said I didn't I don't care about local politics. Totally wrong. That's what affects us the most. Yeah, it's really the only one you should actually honestly care about. I tried telling people about this Uh where they say, "Oh, you have to vote for the uh, uh, the the U.S. the U.S. Senate or your U.S. representative." I mean, that should really be the last one that you uh, that you fill out going down the uh, the ballot. The first person you should be voting for is your uh, your school board or your state uh, representative who is going to represent you to a body that you have a a closer connection to because there's less Pennsylvanians and there are U.S. citizens and there's less people in Allegheny County than there are in Pennsylvania. So you have more of a say in that. And by actually speaking up and making your presence known to those people and being a person of value in your community who commands some level of uh, respect will get a lot more done that way. Because odds are, I mean, you're probably one, maybe two people off from your representative. You know someone who like knows a state representative or, I mean, that's one of our upcoming guests on the podcast is uh, a representative. Yeah, I know my local representative uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. Met him. State reps are, uh, they're out there. They're very connectable. They're much more open and they're going to listen to people. I mean, I mean, during the, uh, the, election integrity spat uh my uncle got a hold of his uh representative who was actually uh a democrat believe it or not in uh the the hmm. western pa area and he even took his uh took his phone call and talked to him about the uh uh the, the situation even though he wow. said he really didn't have any uh any news to report he still at least took my uncle's phone call and respected him enough i respect to, that wow to talk to him. So, yeah. 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 
so federalism is huge. And as far as just staying optimistic, uh, I mean, we've had a lot of big wins in the last couple months here, so that's helped. But also, I just like to look at the state of young right-wing people versus young left-wing people. That that makes me hugely optimistic. Their lifestyle, their ideology breeds depression and ruin. They, so they, they are the complete opposite of of what we are. They cannot choose to be builders. They're the ideology that they've, that they've chosen is such that they can only, uh, subvert or alter that, which, that, which is good. It's, 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 it's it's destructive. I mean, the, the, the policies that they choose are destructive. The positions that they choose, uh, can't hold up under, uh, yeah, and they also just simply don't understand us at all. They basically just sum up every right-wing view as, you're a big meanie, you won't let me do what I want. And that's all they understand. It's like a five-year-old's understanding. Yeah. So Yeah, sur- survey and polling definitely seems to suggest that the, the right understands the left uh, much more than the left understands the right, uh, in that the right is able to... Uh, rephrase and uh, hmm. very much put together what the left is arguing, uh, whereas the left uh, can't see what the right is arguing, and they just build this caricature caric- of, yeah. uh, of what the right, of what they think the right is. Oh, wow. That is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, because the best indicator of understanding is being able to paraphrase. Yeah, ar- so- artic- articulate the points, the points back to them. Yeah, if they can't do that, they don't understand us at all. Yeah. And I don't see that strategy working out very well in the long term. No, I mean, the the first person that uh, moves on to to slander in a a, a debate just loses all credibility. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's usually where it it ends up. Yeah. But... I guess I'm optimistic because I, I really do believe that truth will prevail and that doing the right thing will work out in the long run. And that's that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like uh, it may take a very long time. And, uh, oh, absolutely. I don't know that we'll be able to revert back to a federalist structure anytime soon. It, no. it seems like uh, It seems like to me that... Uh, one of the fastest way that we might get back there is uh, to elect an executive uh, to the presidency that would be willing to uh, get rid of some of these bureaucratic agencies, yeah. the uh, three-letter agencies, yeah, and uh, immediately return power back to the states. I would love that, and I—that's conceivable within our lifetime that we get a, yeah. someone in there who just starts cleaning house. Because then, you know, if we do get the right guy, it's a lot easier for them because, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be the executive. He'll just be able to shut stuff down. It's not going to have to work through Congress. That would be huge because, yeah. yeah, that's that's where the, yeah. the biggest corruption is, is the executive branch today. It's disgusting. And, and, we, and we need uh, more states that have uh, – that use the authority to stand up on their own. I right. Mean, right you now, see right more, now, more like baller governors like Ron yeah, DeSantis. Right, yeah. Right yeah. now, Florida is the only state that will really seem to, to stand up. I mean, 
uh, yeah, none, none of the other ones really seem to stack up to Florida. I mean, like some states like South Dakota or like Texas have like had like their moments, but Florida has really been the only one on the offensive, really uh, pushing for uh, states' rights. Yeah, well, let's hope he ex- inspires others. Yeah. We'll see what happens in Pennsylvania. I think courage, is con- courage is contagious. And I mean, again, just being able to talk about this. I mean, the, the, the Overton window on the, uh, on, on the issue of abortion has shifted in, in our favor Im- immensely because we have winners on our team, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, Ty, Ty was very articulate and map, mapped out everything that we believe as a as pro-life advocates in in a very respectful way i mean yeah i don't think i could do it even half as good if i tried i i always i always end up getting just so uh tense over it or just (laughs) overly excited but yeah you uh you're cool calm and collected man and you're uh you're as good as they come yeah, man, Thank keep you. doing what you're doing. That your uh, ability to convert pro-choice people—it's amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, you could definitely be a, like a campus like change my mind guy. I t- I, t- <laughs> I totally I totally yeah. see that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. we I I may or may not have tried something like that uh, freshman year and gotten awesome. myself removed from campus, but uh, oh man, that's oh man, tale for another day. Damn. Uh, these campuses, wow! You got taken be, away uh, by like the campus Gestapo. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, he, wow. Well, you are invited to come back anytime as the uh, the resident uh, change my mind guy for the American <laughs> Redemption podcast. Hundred percent. All right. Well, thank you. Your 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 optics are way better than uh, some folks we know who wear uh, who wear trench coats. You go by the name Tony. Uh, yeah. It's like two episodes after the Tony episode and Maurice slandering him. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Steven just can't just can't stop thinking about Tony. Yeah. I'm, Mr. A big, I'm a big Tony advocate, but You're a Tony respecter. I, I respect Tony, but uh sometimes me as well. So I, I understand it because I'm also someone who uh who's train doesn't stop at every station on the hopper so I, I i get it yeah sometimes i'm just like yeah let's go you know yeah i feel but, like i can be like that sometimes it just might not necessarily be the prudent way to go about things prudent see he's he's touching on all the points man <laughs> it's an important virtue it, it, it is so Wow. Well, that was good. Great discussion, man. Both of you guys. Oh, I, I, I love it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you guys again for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. It was good. Really, uh, it was fun. So everyone, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.